Digital Dust is a history podcast about the stuff you learned in school with a perspective you might not have considered. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Digital Dust podcast. I'm Liz. I'm Katie. And I'm Patrick. There's a voice missing. So where is Robin? Where is Robin? (laughs) We are missing the beautiful Robin today. She could not join us because she is currently um, camping in Algonquin Park, so I'm sure if there was Wi-Fi in Algonquin Park, she could be here, but... That's okay. Yeah. She's being swarmed by mosquitoes and hopefully uh, getting some lovely nature time in. So we will miss her very dearly, but she is here in spirit. Yes. And she'll be back. And we have a guest this week. Uh, our lovely uh, dear dreamer, Corkendale, uh, has no idea that I do that every time that I make a, a silly voice when I introduce myself. Um, because why take yourself too seriously? Yeah, it's, I hope it's classic at this point. It really it's is. It's one of those things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, as I said, we have uh, Deirdre McCorkendale on with us today. She says her pronouns are she, her. She's a PhD candidate, and her history specialty is race in North America. And also, her favorite historical figure is Ida B. Wells. Uh, and if, if anyone listening has no idea who that is, she's incredible. Look her up immediately. Yeah. Uh, so, hi, my name's Deirdre McCorkendale. So I um, am all but dissertation on my PhD at... Uh, Queen's University, and I'm a per-course instructor at uh, Huron at the moment, but I did do my undergrad at Western. Mm, Okay. Yeah, so my areas, um, as Patrick said, my areas of expertise are um, the history of race in North America, but my main focus is on the history of the African-American and African-Canadian experience. And typically, for whatever reason, for good or for bad, typically whenever I teach, I usually end up teaching American history and African-American history, which I absolutely love. Some of my favorite courses that I've ever had the opportunity to teach have always been African-American history courses. I'm more than happy to give you a little bit of African-American history today. Yeah, absolutely. The topic of this episode is on Juneteenth has just been recognized, I believe this year, as a national holiday in the United States. Last week, right? Yeah. Um, It's pretty interesting. And uh, we have Deirdre here to talk to us about it. It's history, what it means, how it's commemorated, the present context, all that good stuff. Uh, So please take it away. Okay, so Juneteenth takes place on June 19th and it's a holiday that's been celebrated for well over 100 years by African Americans and um, just to start it actually goes by a few names it's not just Juneteenth the name Juneteenth became popular in the uh, early 1900s but it's also referred to as Jubilee Day which is named for the biblical Jubilee where the enslaved people were free Um, Freedom Day Black Independence Day and Emancipation Day. And just a quick uh, note, especially uh, Canadian listeners. So just um, a context note here, and it's something I'll talk about a little bit um, as we go forward, especially since I ended with the term Emancipation Day. I should point out for your Canadian listeners that um, in some Afro-Canadian communities, uh, such as the one that I'm actually speaking to you from, where I was born and where I'm from, we have our own Emancipation Day. 
it's actually celebrated in August. Um, it's August 1st, um, and it's to commemorate the, the British Abolition Act that went into effect August 1st, 1834. And it's been celebrated in many different capacities in our communities for well over 100 years. I think uh, Chatham, where I'm speaking to you from, our historically black community, some of the earliest uh, celebrations we have of our Emancipation Day go back to the 1830s, the late 1830s. So I just wanted to preface that to avoid any confusion because, just because it's topical, Emancipation Day in Canada was finally recognized nationally as of March of this year. Um, I was a very, very small part um, of my own community. I represented the local Black History Society to try and push towards it. So I just kind of wanted to give a shout out to that effort while we're here. Our Emancipation Day, it, it's different than uh, Juneteenth, obviously, but I still think it's worth mentioning because um, it actually has a lot of the same note. And there are comparisons to be made in the uh, broad context of the African diaspora. But I just wanted to preface that for any Canadian listeners, especially those who may have been following the news back in March, finding out that Emancipation Day, and then I'm talking about Emancipation Day with the United States. They're technically different, but there are similarities as well. Black folks who have ancestry tying them to the Atlantic slave trade actually have many different celebrations of emancipation, and that depends on many factors. It depends on the country, it depends on your region, it depends on even your small community, and of course the colonial entity that facilitated the enslavement in the first place, because Britain abolishes slavery before America does, so obviously celebrations are different where uh, the British colonized. So there are differences in things. Um, and there are even differences in Emancipation Day celebrations in the United States, which I'll get to. So, But we're here to talk about Juneteenth, which is probably one of the more widely celebrated American Emancipation Day uh, celebrations um, adopted in the United States. And as you've said, it's finally been designated a national holiday, which is pretty amazing. In order to explain Juneteenth, I have to get into a little bit of context and history, and I'm going to be very long-winded for a little bit. I have to explain legislation to you. <laughs> <laughs> the L word. Which is always which is always a really fun conversation. Get okay. ready, listeners. <laughs> yes. So during the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln issued the preliminary Emancipation Proclamation in September of 1862. And the preliminary uh, proclamation, and basically it was a threat. Lincoln basically was giving the, the rebel states a ultimatum. It was essentially that if the Confederacy did not end their fighting and rejoin the Union by the 1st of January, 1863, he would issue the Emancipation Proclamation. January came, the Confederacy did not concede, and the proclamation was issued, and it essentially declared that all enslaved persons in the Confederate States of America in rebellion and not under Union control would be free. Now, I want to preface this as this is very, very important. While the Emancipation Proclamation is a great milestone, and I love it because it rhymes, too. I think everybody <laughs> likes to talk oh. about the Emancipation Proclamation because it rhymes and you can yeah. like you can have really cool cadence with it. But while it is this really great milestone and it is definitely worth celebrating, 
Um, there's a really common misconception that that was the date of emancipation for enslaved persons in the United States. It was not. Uh, it did not free all of the slaves in the United States. This legislation, and actually there was arguments on back and forth, and actually some historians, legal historians, are still, still arguing to this day whether the proclamation was even constitutional because of the way that it was presented. But it did not free enslaved persons in the Union slave states that did not rebel. So a lot of the border states, you have those states, they did not free those people. And it did not free enslaved persons in areas under Union control. It also did not free enslaved persons who lived in indigenous territories that were not part of the United States as well. A lot of people don't know that a lot of indigenous groups, especially those who were part of the Trail of Tears, who used to have their homeland in the southern states, had slaves and took them with them. Um, it did not free those people either. So that's, that's worth talking about. So abolition does not come until the passage of the 13th Amendment in December of 1865. And even then, that measure needed to be enforced. And for the uh, indigenous uh, areas of the United States, those enslaved persons would not become free until 1866 with the uh, Reconstruction Treaties. And I should note too, uh, especially since you guys are um, interested in some of the like more modern implications of some of this history, uh, the 13th Amendment abolishes slavery, but it doesn't completely abolish slavery because the... The, I love the teaching about the 13th Amendment because it's short, very easy for students to understand, but it's very important to understand that there is a important clause in the 13th Amendment that um, allows for involuntary servitude as punishment for a crime. So the 13th Amendment does not completely abolish slavery in the United States, and that is something that the United States is still dealing with to this day. Now, that was a big long ramble about that. But um, I swear this is important. Yeah, so no, I believe you. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> the order was issued January 1st of 1863, but African Americans were affected by it at different times. This is where different celebrations come into play. Um, so there were jubilees that occurred in January, some occur in September, August, November. Uh, for instance, um, it's a really neat kind of uh, holiday that some African Americans still celebrate um, that's uh, referred to as Watch Night or Freedom's Eve, and it's a Ooh. New Year's celebration. Um, it's a New Year's celebration because uh, the Emancipation Proclamation came into effect on January 1st. So these are usually faith-based activities um, and faith gatherings because enslaved persons a lot of times on plantations through church services either in secret or by permission they were some of the only times that enslaved persons could really meet and talk to each other so it's right. very important as the tradition and essentially what happens is it's a faith-based thing and um, participants engage in prayer sometimes and then sometimes they'll have a call and response and uh, the preacher is the watchman and the 
the folks in the pews will ask, Watchmen, tell me the hour of the night. And then the preacher will tell you what the hour is. And then when it is midnight, the uh, preacher will announce, it is midnight and freedom has come. And then that takes them into a new year. And sometimes there's food and there's different things. I don't know that it is currently like a huge celebration, but that's just to give you an example. Like it's not just Juneteenth. Um, Right. There's a whole bunch going on. There's a whole lot of stuff going on. Wow. So the, all of these things are really important to understand for a couple of reasons. Um, because typically when we are taught history or when we're teaching history, it's usually a series of important dates. You know, slavery <laughs> ended on this day and segregation yes. ended on that day. But as you would all know, as students of history, it's a lot more complicated than that. Those are just the dates of legislation. When they reach people, how they are adopted and affect change is a lot more messy. And sometimes, especially with things like the Emancipation Proclamation, it's portrayed as though it was a gift that was given to African American, and it just, it was a sweeping legislation, but it wasn't. It had to be fought for, it had to be defended, and people had to learn about it. So it's a little bit more complicated than that. So now finally, after I'm done rambling, we get to Juneteenth in particular. So the origins of Juneteenth are in Texas. Um, Enslaved persons there did not learn of the proclamation until two months after Robert E. Lee surrendered in April of 1865. In fact, many slaveholders in Texas refused to admit that the war was even over at that point. Um, So on the morning of June 19th, so that's why it's called Juneteenth, it's a portmanteau of June and 19th. So on the morning of June 19th in 1865, Union Major General Gordon Granger arrived in Galveston, Texas, um, and he was there, among other things, to command federal troops, but he was also there to announce and enforce the proclamation, um, freeing the remaining enslaved people in the state. So if you're wondering why Texas was so late, there's actually a really good reason for that. Texas was, for all intents and purposes, less touched by the Civil War because geographically they were shielded by the Confederate blockade. Um, And some slaveholders even took their slaves to Texas to hide from the Union. We have a lot of numbers of slaveholders bringing their slaves to Texas, especially from Mississippi and Louisiana. So during that time, even with the Emancipation Proclamation, Texas even gained hundreds more slaves even after the the proclamation occurred. So regardless of how late it is, this was the day that so many enslaved persons prayed for. Now, they couldn't necessarily celebrate right away because um, there are some reports of people who tried to celebrate and there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of violence um, because white owners were trying to hold on as long as they could. Um, but regardless, It was this defining moment in their lives, um, and it's especially interesting that Juneteenth really took off the way that it has, because these were some of the last African Americans in the Union to know that they were free, with obviously the exception of those who would be covered under the 13th Amendment, right? June 19th became Emancipation Day or Jubilee Day um, for Afro-Texans, and the first celebrations took place the very next year. 
Um, so there were parties, there were foods, there's sports, singing, dancing, um, and these took place in cities, um, and they also took place in many of the settlements that were made of uh, free African Americans as well. And like I said, the word Juneteenth started being used around like the turn of the century, so like late 1890s, early 1900s, when we see the word Juneteenth being used more than um, Jubilee Day. And eventually it'll spread to places like Arkansas, Oklahoma, and Louisiana. And in some places, depending on where you were, these were bigger celebrations than Independence Day. There's reports of... (laughs) Yeah. Very much That's so. There's awesome. rape, there's uh, reports of um, African Americans getting a hold of like gunpowder and putting it into trees and making their own fireworks, and oh it's just being God. these huge, these huge celebrations. That's amazing. Um, yeah, yeah, and this is a really important thing to remember, and it's kind of how I wanted to connect it to our own Canadian uh, Emancipation Day because I, I can relate to this being from a community that celebrated Emancipation Day. To the outside observer um, in the 1800s, these may have looked just like parties. They look like just, you know, black people having parties, Um, but they were also very political in nature. Juneteenth was a day where black people, along with singing and dancing, would also talk about their ongoing struggle for freedom. Things like segregation, discrimination, and of course, voting rights. And that's a connection I can make to our Emancipation Day here in Canada, because a lot of people look at like the old celebrations that we had in like places like Windsor and stuff, and they think about those as just really big parties. But they have always been very, very political events. They're Emancipation Days, typically, are days where you remember the past and you celebrate the past, but you're also looking for the future. And that's that's the way that they've always been. And these were really important things because these all happened during the period of Reconstruction, which for your listeners, Reconstruction is the period from 1865 to 1877. And it's a radical period of change where Black Americans were not only... Uh, free, but they used their new enfranchisement to support the federal government to push for changes that needed to go along with emancipation. W.E.B. Du Bois uh, famously referred to Reconstruction. I I love talking about Reconstruction uh, this way. He referred to it as a uh, splendid failure. Yeah. Um, Wow, that's a lovely term. Because it's this brief moment after the Civil War where it all seemed like it could have changed. There was this big hope. This is a period where you are getting black people running for office and winning. They're voting. They're uh, putting together their own schools and they are fighting like hell for all of the things that they want. They're fighting for their land. They're going to court. They're doing all of these things. And they were doing it because the Union troops were in the South and occupying the South, so they had that apparatus to help them, and they also had radical Republicans, not to be confused with the current Republican Party. They have strayed very far from Thaddeus Stevens, but (laughs) they tried really hard, especially in those like kind of early formative years, and it looked like, especially with the passage of the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment for citizenship, it looked like things were going quite well, um, especially um, you have like civil rights bills banning segregation and public accommodations. Like This is all happening in the 1860s and 70s, and Juneteenth is all a part of that, and it 
was really important because right after the Civil War, whites tried their damnedest to put things back to as close as the way things were with, you know, vagrancy. Vagrancy laws are usually my favorite. Um, I love explaining vagrancy laws to students because they ask me what a vagrancy law is. I'm like, well, basically they can arrest you for not having a job. That's essentially what they were doing. And so during this period, um, Juneteenth was a part of that. This was a place where everybody got together and they were talking and they were celebrating and they were trying to um, realize that kind of promise of emancipation um, and trying to hold the country accountable for the promises that are made in the Declaration of Independence, which is something that African Americans have always done from the moment that it was written, but Juneteenth in particular and the Emancipation Proclamation made that push even harder. So, the early celebrations there started by Black people, for Black people, um, often with communities putting on celebrations with their own funds. So there's a little bit of economic independence there as well. Um, so just as an example, I know a lot of people use this example, but I wanted to use it too. During Reconstruction in the 1870s, Black leaders actually raised funds to purchase 10 acres of land to specifically celebrate Juneteenth in Houston. Um, I don't think it was called that at the time, but I think it is currently called Houston emancipation park so these are communities of people who just previously not that long wow. ago used to be enslaved persons and they raised money to buy land to celebrate but yeah so it was a really big important time for people my question is how did we get from this really great you know all of this amazing amazing things were happening during reconstruction and then we end up kind of in jim crow like how yeah. did we yeah. reverse uh, so, everything so, oh so the short answer is white supremacy just in the context of, um, so Reconstruction ends in 1877 with the Compromise of 1877. And it was waning in the first place because the thing that needs to be remembered is the radical Republicans, they managed to push forward some of their ideals, but the public in the North and in the Union states was still very, very very, very racist. Unfortunately, the binary that is often like told to students that really bothers me is that when you get to the Civil War, it's this whole like the North is good, the South is bad. And it's a lot more complicated than that. And over years of Reconstruction, there was a period of time when the Radical Republicans first came into power where there was enthusiasm because near the end of the Civil War, there was a push to identify it more with uh, liberating the enslaved. And there were reports uh, to the North about what slavery was really like. So there was an interest in it. But as I'm sure all of you know, public interest wanes, right? And then oh, yeah. the year, the years go on and on and on. And yeah. people are wondering, why are we still in the South? Uh, people became less interested. And then there's on top of it, all of the prejudice against uh, black Americans. Many Americans, whether they were sympathetic to the abolitionist cause or not, felt that abolition was enough. They are free. That's the end of it. We don't need to do anything else. They didn't necessarily understand or want to address the um, underlying core issues that came with abolition. You, you can't just free enslaved groups of people without 
giving them any access to any kind of proper equity. And um, a lot of people didn't understand that. Um, even like there's abolitionists and there's radical abolitionists and the radical abolitionist group was a much smaller number with a lot less power. And so interest kind of waned. And, and now Jim Crow is a, it's a slow process in the South. Rights being taken away from um, African Americans is a slow process. Just like little chippings over time, little challengings to Constitution, because obviously the 14th Amendment and the 15th Amendment, as they were, guaranteed like voting rights for men, not for women. That doesn't happen until the 20th century. That's an important distinction. But just like little things. So the South, different places, they'll put in things like poll taxes, which are technically not considered unconstitutional, but African Americans who have no access to capital cannot pay a poll tax. Um, And the interesting thing about poll taxes is in some places it did disenfranchise poor whites, but in other places they would make exceptions where you didn't have to pay the poll tax if your grandfather had voted. Well, of course, black Americans, their grandfather wouldn't have voted because they would have been enslaved. So little things like that, things like literacy tests, um, things like slowly segregating things. And it's interesting because segregation was more of a northern thing before, because when you really think about it, segregation in the South, I'm not saying that segregation didn't exist in the South, but because of this, the institution of slavery as it was, black and white people worked together quite frequently segregation is something that we very much so see in the north but after slavery they the south very much so wants everything to be segregated and over time you see even instances of whole cemeteries being dug up so that they can be segregated and so this is again it's a slow process slowly chipping away at things um african americans slowly getting their rights taken away and you can watch the erosion over time and it is partially because they did not have that federal government defense mechanism to help them some abolitionist activists tried their best but when you don't have that apparatus behind you it just doesn't work and because of that the celebration of Juneteenth also waxes and wanes over the years. Um, right, yeah, I was wondering that. Yeah, and by the time we get to the early 1900s, segregation is in full swing. Jim Crow is very firmly planted by then, especially by uh, 1896 with the Plessy versus Ferguson decision, which essentially codified racial segregation laws. The famous line is separate but equal. So by 1900, Jim Crow is very, very firmly in place. Part of the reason that these uh, celebrations start to stop happening near as much or they become smaller they're not as big as they used to be is the rights that they the african americans had fought so hard for they were being stripped away in the south and so these are again border disenfranchisement segregation um, and of course two very new forms of pseudo-slavery and the first one would be uh, debt peonage or debt slavery 
um, that's debt peonage is due to the exploitation of former enslaved people into debts, most of the time on the very plantations that they had been enslaved on. Um, so they would be kind of forced to work on the land um, in perpetuity and constantly be in debt. Um, and of course, uh, slavery by another name uh, in the form of prison labor. And um, I should point out to your listeners that a good chunk of the modernization of the South, a lot of their roads and things that they have currently, a lot of that was built, the, some of their old roads, old buildings, a lot of that was built by slave labor. And it's no coincidence that when it was cotton picking season, arrests go up. When they needed a ditch dug, they needed an alligator swamp cleared out, arrests go up. These things make it very hard to have a big celebration for obvious reasons. And at the height of Jim Crow, um, we see some of the biggest decline from about 1900 to 1930 of these celebrations. And it's no coincidence that those are some of the biggest spikes we also see in lynchings in the United States. African Americans having large-scale celebrations uh, together and discussing politics was very dangerous for them to do so. And again, I I don't want to make it seem like Juneteenth was never celebrated. It was. It was just on a smaller scale. They didn't do those big celebrations because it was dangerous. The other thing is First World War. After the First World War, there was widespread nativism, and to some, Juneteenth uh, in particular was interpreted as a traitorous holiday and un-American, and the reason for that is that it drew attention to the institution of slavery. Sure. Mm -hmm. It was considered an un-American holiday by some. When we get to the 1920s, this is no coincidence. The celebrations go down because... That was the time of the largest iteration, the second uh, version of the Ku Klux Klan, not to be confused. There's there's distinct versions of the Ku Klux Klan. The second version, uh, by far the most populous version, came about in the 1920s. It was more organized. It was expansive more than the 1860s outfit. And all of these things correlate. When you look at the timeline of celebrations, they tend to go down at the times when African Americans were more restricted and things like this were more dangerous. Um, and the, the other factor is the Great Migration. So for your listeners, the Great Migration, um, it depends on which historian you talk to, but I'm gonna give like a wide range for this. So the Great Migration occurs from roughly 1910 to about 1970. And it just refers to the large amount of African Americans who move out of the South and they move to um, more Northern cities. So they move to places like Chicago, uh, New York, Detroit, and some of them will move out West um, as well, places like California and things like that. So again, it doesn't mean the Juneteenth stops, but like these are some of the major factors. It starts to pick up after the Second World War, though. No small part because of, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the the Double Victory campaign. No. This was a campaign started by African-American activists and especially veterans. And the idea behind the Double Victory campaign was um, this principle of fighting against fascism in Europe and victory against racism at home. So you fight fascism in both places. 
that was the idea. And in addition to when that was happening, there was a burgeoning civil rights movement that was underway. And leaders of these movements, their veterans, their teachers, their educators, and of course, church leaders, um, they looked to the past and they drew uh, connections between the struggles of pre and post Civil War Black Americans to the struggles of the 20th century. So you have uh, Black veterans honoring Black veterans who had fought in the Civil War, just to kind of give you um, an example. So, and during the 1950s and 60s, when you look at the different leaders and their discussion of uh, the civil rights struggle, there's so many references to emancipation um, and emancipation proclamation, upholding promises of emancipation that were kept, linking civil rights acts to the emancipation proclamation um, to highlight the importance. I think sometimes concrete examples are a little bit better. When Martin Luther King Jr. he sent a telegram to Kennedy in uh, 1961, and he called for quote a second Emancipation Proclamation to free all Negroes from second-class citizenship, in line with the defense of domestic principles and practices here. And a more poignant example that probably everybody knows is the Emancipation Proclamation is in the "I Have a Dream" speech. Five score years ago, a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today signed the Emancipation Proclamation. This momentous decree came as a great beacon light of hope to millions of Negro slaves who had been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of their captivity. But 100 years later, the Negro still is not free. And Lyndon B. Johnson, he referenced it in 1965. So that connection is already being made between those two. I should point out that while the Great Migration contributed to a lack of big celebrations because people were leaving, it also made Juneteenth spread because you had blacks who had lived in Texas they moved to California. They moved to they moved to different places, and they brought it with them. Um, so there's a rekindling because of that. So it stopped, but it also started in other places. Once we move to the uh, late 60s and 70s, there's an even bigger focus because of the Black Power and Black Pride movements. There's a big focus on celebrating Black heritage. Um, so celebrating uniquely Black holiday was rekindled even further. So in the 1970s, Houston and Texas started holding more large-scale celebrations um, with others following suit in the uh, late 80s. I think a lot of them started to become really, really popular in the 80s. I think Atlanta has a really, really big celebration. But yeah, so they're in California, Washington, Georgia. And honestly, it depends on where you're from for your Juneteenth celebration, because sometimes you're, it's your church, 
Sometimes it's just you in the backyard with your family. Sometimes it's a huge event and there's a big parade and there's all kinds of parties going down the street. So it really just depends on where you are. But um, for a lot of people, it kind of means that um, celebration of the past. I had no idea that a different Emancipation Day was celebrated in Canada. I guess, again, like it, like celebrating varies on your community and everything else, but do you know of any like differences in the States or versus like how is it typically celebrated in Canada or how can, how can we learn more about this or at least like shed some light on it? Because I feel like that should be more celebrated in Canada because I think the Canadian government kind of takes on things is that it never, ever, ever happened here. Yeah. You know, <laughs> slavery, what? No, never happened. And, you know, it happened a long time ago compared to the States, but it still happened and it's still worth celebrating, right, that that, that, that ended. Yeah, so I'm not an expert on Emancipation Day. I can tell you a little bit about my community because we've celebrated it. Um, now, for more information... The book that I highly recommend is Natasha Henry's, her amazing book on Emancipation Day. Like, I can't, like, hold a candle to Natasha Henry on it. Like, that, this is her, this is her thing. But, so, um, I'm from Chatham, and um, my family's been here for about a hundred years or so. And uh, we are, this is a weird thing to, to kind of get into, but we're... We are an Underground Railroad family, but we're not an Underground Railroad Chatham family because we didn't come to Chatham until a little bit later. So my people are from uh, Delaware and Virginia, respectively, um, for my two sides of the family. But in the Chatham area, um, Chatham itself, the city itself, which had significant black uh, population in the 1850s, and then um, there were two planned settlements in Kent County. So one is the Buxton Settlement and the, uh, the Elgin Settlement, rather, that's in North Buxton. And then the other was Dawn in Dresden, which uh, they're all part of Kent County. So in the early years, so in the 18, like late 1830s, 1840s, our celebrations were held here and um, we have reports of parades, um, speakers, I think at one point there was a dance, but at some point um, what ended up happening was, uh, at least this is my grandmother's generation, because my grandmother talks about this all the time, Chatham folks still celebrated uh, Emancipation Day all of the time, but what the typical tradition became was you went down to Windsor um, because Windsor had a huge celebration in Jackson Park. And um, I think they did a documentary about this a few years ago. I think it's called The Greatest Freedom Show on Earth. And, <laughs> that sounds and like these celebrations like were like no joke. They had some serious uh, entertainers. They had serious like activists coming in. And uh, the celebrations that were had in Chatham also were always times when we talked about the fact that there was segregation here and the people didn't like it and you know so um, my grandmother always talks about that you know we're poor and she said but like the one time of the year that like she remembered her her mother was a domestic um, which is a pretty common job for a lot of black women at the time especially those um, she was widowed so she had no choice and she always talks about like her mother didn't really have much in the way of the day off, but on Emancipation Day, she was always really happy because they got to 
everybody from Chatham. Uh, usually the church, if you couldn't afford it, they'd help you out. Uh, the AME Church, which is the African Methodist Episcopal Church, they would help you out. And uh, you take cars, you take buses, and you'd go down to Windsor and you'd have a picnic. Now, my grandmother never went to uh, some of the bigger celebrations because she was quite young and her mother was kind of a religious. But. <laughs> <laughs> but they always had the picnic in the park and like that was she it was such an amazing thing that you did because like this would be a time where you'd see people that you hadn't seen for a whole year and like you know people from Dresden were there and people from Windsor were there and people from Detroit were there and they all kind of met up and a lot of Juneteenth celebrations are very similar like maybe you haven't seen you know, your cousin in a while, but it's Juneteenth and, you know, your cousin's coming to Atlanta for the parade or something like that. That's a parallel I can, I can draw. I saw a bunch of, like, articles that um, don't want us to link Juneteenth to uh, Emancipation Day because they're ultimately different. And, like, I understand not wanting to, like, conflate everything that African Canadians do with African Americans. Like, and I get it, but... I think it's worth drawing some of the parallels and like I think sometimes it's worth talking about and like the other thing is too sometimes I don't know sometimes it's easier for people to understand if you give them like a bigger example and then sure. you kind of pit it against yeah. things. There are a lot of thematic similarities that I've that I'm hearing at least you know like there may be like specific differences in terms of what's being celebrated and what's being talked about but overall you know big celebrations political conversations gathering of communities I think I'm just I'm just really curious about sort of like the present context of Juneteenth and like conte any contemporary debates, any conversations, any anything like that, like sort of like the, the present moment. There are a few concerns with the designation and kind of the spotlight on Juneteenth. One of the major ones is obviously that um, the national designation is largely symbolic and um, doesn't necessarily address uh, larger issues and maybe takes away from larger issues. And I understand that criticism and I agree with it. However, I still think that uh, the designation, at least this is just a personal thing for me, I think partially because I, I worked hard on um, my very, very minuscule <laughs> contribution to Fair the uh, Emancipation Day. I see the value in having it as a national holiday. Um, and the value is that I find that one of the biggest hurdles is part of the reason why I wanted to teach. I actually wanted to teach because I wanted to be an activist. That's why I wanted to teach Black history. And I find that one of the biggest hurdles that we have to overcome in North America, and I imagine in other places, but North America is my specialty, so that's what I'll speak to, one of the biggest hurdles we have to overcome is this lack of acknowledgement of the past and this like general ignorance about things. Because often when I talk to admittedly very infuriating people regarding racial politics in Canada or even in the United States, because I tend to talk to both, and I find that when I speak to them, a lot of their opinions come from a real place of ignorance because they don't actually know the history. And I've seen it happen firsthand. My very first year teaching, I was very lucky 
that I got to design my own course. And I taught a seminar that was Jim Crow and African-American resistance. And most of my students, because it was Queens, most of my students were white. I had one black student who was very excited that they actually had a black professor for once. Yeah. <laughs> it was very, it was adorable, but, yeah. um, but most of my students were white. And, you know, as we got into the material and I was talking to them, I could see in them kind of a light go on. And I know that as they go out into the world now, they're not going to think the things that they used to because they know now. And Emancipation Day, yeah, Juneteenth, is it symbolic? Yeah, it is. But there's something special about it because if we designate Emancipation Day, if we designate Juneteenth, that's a national recognition that this happened and there is media coverage and we have to talk about it at least even a little bit and like yeah is it gonna go the way i want it to go with like lots of nuance and context for things probably not but it's a good first step and i think that those are good things because if we talk about emancipation we have to talk about emancipation from what and then we can talk about it and the other thing is too then people can maybe understand that you know, black folks have been celebrating these things for hundreds of years, and it gives them more of a connection to understanding that black folks aren't alien to the country. They are part of it. They are integral to the fabric of it, because often when you're a black person, especially if you're a black person in Canada, constantly get asked where you're from on a regular basis. And it's like, listen, man, my family's probably been here longer than yours has. And, like, we got deep roots in this place. And if they understand that, like, black people have been celebrating this for such a long time, then maybe they'll they'll understand. Like, Juneteenth especially in the United States, it's worth having because it's a really important holiday for African Americans in particular because a lot of African American celebrations are celebrations of colonist holidays that were kind of forced on them. Juneteenth is still about colonialism because of slavery, but it's something that black folks made themselves. And I think that there's something really special, especially because for black folks, Independence Day as a holiday has always been a very contentious thing for African Americans. The famous uh, quote is Frederick Douglass in 1852 in his amazing speech, what to the slave is the 4th of July? What does it mean to us? The 4th of July means nothing to us. It's the day that reminds us how much of a lie this is. So having their own day of Jubilee is really important. The other concern and controversy over Juneteenth is actually one that does concern me quite a bit with the national designation, and that is I worry about um, commercialism. Yeah. Right. Which we're already seeing, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, um, Which is something, it hasn't happened too much as of late, but there was this weird little period where Kwanzaa, a lot of companies were really trying to like, yes, which is really, which is really weird because Kwanzaa was a holiday expressly made to not be commercial. And I worry about Juneteenth being designated because I've seen it happen too with um, Martin Luther King Day, you know, where it's like, we're having a mattress sale. And it's like, I, I don't know how that, (laughs) I don't know how I feel about that. (laughs) 
like you know i just i don't know how i feel about yeah. that so like that's actually a big concern like you he know like these are be... on a mattress, on a mattress. <laughs> i think I think my favorite depiction of the commercialization of Martin Luther King Day, I mean, this is showing my age, because I don't know if you guys watch The Simpsons, but, like, years ago, The Simpsons did this joke, and I have never stopped laughing about it. It's, um, the kids, they're going to the mall, and it's after Christmas, and the kids are, like, they're all trying to, like, return something, right? And then they get there, and they look because Martin Luther King Day is the next holiday, and they look, it's a guy dressed up as Martin Luther King, and he's got, he's sitting on a chair, and these kids are, like, waiting in line to sit on his lap, Someone's and then, lap. yeah, and, and he looks down at this, like, I think it's, a, like, a little girl, he's like, Susie, have you judged people by the content of their character this year? <laughs> you, know? you know, and like I just I don't want that kind of thing to happen. Right. You know, so like yeah. that sure. that that is a concern. So those are the two major concerns um, that I have. I do know that like I heard of some like fringe like conservative issues with Juneteenth, but they sounded the same as they were in the 1860s and the like 1920s like oh it's un-american i'm like okay so you're just singing the same song you've been singing for the last 200 years so i think too something that i didn't really kind of think about juneteenth until we you know had this discussion is how much it's also like you're celebrating but it is also a time to yeah yeah like okay look at all of the steps that we still need to take because we we aren't 100 percent there for example, talking about the 13th Amendment, companies benefit in the millions from penal labor and from the prison yeah. industrial complex. Yeah. You can go yeah. to Starbucks. And yeah. those things in Starbucks yeah. were created probably by, by prisoners, especially prisoners, people of color. Yeah. So um, I think, yeah, it's really important to also focus. And hopefully we can push for this when, you know, hopefully not when, but if companies are trying to commercialize is that we need to also focus on all the work that needs to be done. Yeah. It's not just about, like, we need to celebrate, but it's also a time to, again, come together. And I think I think last year, because around Juneteenth was also when um, there were massive Black Lives Matter protests in the States and Canada. Mm -hmm. And I, it was a really great timing for that because I think there was so much going on about, okay, this is really what Juneteenth is about, is that the racism that people who were enslaved and then were, were finally being emancipated experienced is still very much alive. Yeah everywhere today and so i think yeah i i think that's something that i'm gonna try and like remember more and vocalize more and you know hopefully other people can take that too is that it's also a really good time to yeah. to reflect and think about the past but also the future yeah 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 for sure i keep thinking about the media uh and how media attention like really drives what people know about as well Mm -hmm. Like my my least favorite thing about 2020 was when everyone was like, you know, the upsurge in Black Lives Matter protests. And I'm like, there's just an upsurge in media attention towards the movement and all that sort of stuff. You know, is that like just I know a lot of people have recently heard of Juneteenth from uh, the, the HBO Watchmen series. <laughs> oh, yeah, really? that series, you that know? series, like I'm 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 very interested. Like, I actually haven't seen it yet, but like I, I read the, the original comic but um, but I haven't actually watched the, the series yet, but it's like, man, that series is, like, telling people about Tulsa and all of these know. other things. <laughs> yeah. and, then and then people, like, come up to me and it's like, have you heard about Tulsa? Yes. Yeah, right? Yes, I have. So this is the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I am familiar with, like, one of the worst massacres in U.S. history, I am aware. But is this something I've actually noticed in 
as a scholar. I actually used to work, um, I did some museum assistant work at Uncle Tom's Cabin when I, before, the year before I did my master's, and, um, and I was working out there. It's kind of interesting, I've noticed, people tend to gravitate more towards uh, fictional stories or stories that are portrayed in fictional events, um, because Uncle Tom's Cabin as a book is actually a perfect example of that. So, like, Harriet Beecher Stowe writes this book, and it's published in 1852, and it gets, like, massive fanfare, and, like, this book was, like, second only to the Bible in sales for this book on slavery. Meanwhile, all of these black folks have been writing their stories and talking to them, and she took a lot of their stories as inspiration. And it's the same thing as with uh, books like To Kill a Mockingbird, too, which is essentially a story about, like, the um, the justice system. And it's, you know, and it took that for a lot of people to, like, finally start to understand some of um, the inherent issues in the system. But black folks had been talking about the justice system for years but it takes you know like a tv show and like to a certain extent like I, i'm being very critical but like you know i'm not saying that those things aren't important they are but uh, it's always been a very curious thing to me to kind of think about that you know um seeing something in fiction i, I think maybe because if it's a fictional thing you can kind of divorce yourself from it a little bit more and you don't have to think about it as much it's a really interesting phenomenon yeah. though yeah I also think that, like, I mean, fiction lends itself to, I guess, quote-unquote fun, <laughs> I suppose. Like, when people yes. think of just, like, history, the, the general public would be like, oh, that's boring. Uh, but then fiction is mm -hmm. a way to sort of, like, push these historical themes into, into something mm -hmm. more entertaining. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. So, I, yeah, I just think that, like, holidays like Juneteenth and, and, you know, black history more generally is more recognized when there's a lot of media attention to it. And so that's, kind of, I just figure, an important thing to consider as well. Yeah. Oh, something I, I should say too, Juneteenth, just to kind of get more on that topic, when African Americans um, leadership, um, there's been debate over the many, many years about emancipation, like when a day should be celebrated, and there's been a lot of debates, and I'm actually really happy you, uh, you had me on here because I got to read this like excellent article by uh, Henry Louis Gates. Um, where he was talking about uh, Juneteenth, and he suggested something that I hadn't thought about, um, why Juneteenth actually works really well um, for us to maybe designate as, like, the Emancipation Day, because, like I said, there's lots of Emancipation Days even all over the United States. Um, I hadn't thought about this. It is closest to the summer solstice, so you have this uh, light overtaking the darkness kind of thing, so having that be the time, I think, is, is a really cool time. I also think that while, you know, this is something that started in Texas, I think it's neat for us, rather than celebrating emancipation collectively on January 1st, um, you know, when the legislation was passed, I think it is, there's something to be said about celebrating it when the last of African Americans were told. So the, when the last were included as opposed to you know when the, the when the paper went out right so i think that that's something worth like kind of looking into and maybe to a certain extent maybe that's why it's i i think that's why maybe that one's caught on a little bit more than than some of the other celebrations it's a really cool holiday if like anybody's ever really interested in it because it's this really neat holiday about uh history and like celebrating that history 
I do have some uh, Ralph Ellison quotes. <laughs> Um, in his book, Juneteenth, he, he says, On this great day of deliverance, on this day of emancipation, let us tell ourselves our story. And another one is, Words of emancipation didn't arrive until the middle of June, so they called it Juneteenth. So that was that. That was it. The night of Juneteenth celebration, uh, his mind went on, the celebration of a gaudy illusion. Um, so he was kind of drawing attention to the fact that it was emancipation, but it was a, a promise that wasn't fully realized. It, it is. It's, 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 a, it's a really cool holiday. I know, I don't know very much about this. Um, it's especially a, like a Texas tradition um, to have a lot of red foods and red drinks um, on Juneteenth, and I've heard a few different theories on this. Some folks in Texas say that uh, their ancestors told them that it was to commemorate the bloodshed. Historians have called that into question and have said that perhaps it comes um, actually from West African traditions where uh, the color red was used in used as like kind of a powerful symbol from a lot of like West African groups of people. Um, so in a lot of Texas celebrations, you'll see people having, uh, they'll be having uh, red drinks, uh, red cakes and things like that. So that's part of the celebration. There's usually a lot of singing, especially like spirituals and things like that. So these are kind of, if, if anybody wanted to get a sense of celebrations. Um, I don't know if they're on YouTube. I'm sure they are, but I know Atlanta has a really, really, and Houston both have really big kind of celebrations, and I'm sure you could probably find them. They're parades and stuff like that. They're really neat. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. yeah that's amazing. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> I suppose that does it. <laughs> we're, we're, okay, good place to end it. Yeah. That's a great place to end it. That was a perfect place to end. Um, yeah, before before we, we sign off, uh, I want to say another reminder about our final episode of this season, uh, episode 12 that we'll be doing, where we'll be taking your questions. Uh, so by the time this comes out, I think we'll have about a week and a half until we record uh, the, yep, the 12th episode. So yep. so get get any questions in. You can comment on, the, on this post. We'll probably make some special posts for it as well. You can send oh, us private yeah. messages if you'd Many rather. Times. Emails. I want all the questions. Folks. I I want so many questions. I want. <laughs> I love ask. I love answering questions about myself. It's honestly. I love if you, if about you, myself. If you can't tell already, it's great. <laughs> um, so yeah. So so just a reminder about that. Thank you again, Deirdre, for coming on. Yes. To, oh, well, thank anyway. you so much. This was yeah, so no great. Thank you so much. It was really yeah, wonderful. No problem. All right, Katie. And, uh, we'll see you on the flippity flop. The best thing ever. Digital Dust is recorded on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabek, Haudenosaunee, Lenapawak, and Attawandaran peoples, on lands connected with the London Township and Somber Treaties of 1796, and the Dish with One Spoon Covenant Wampum. This land continues to be home to First Nations peoples, Métis peoples, and Inuit peoples whom we recognize as the contemporary stewards of the land and the waters we are on today. Digital Dust is hosted and produced by Elizabeth Edwards, Katie Gaskin, Patrick Kingham, and Robin Marshall. Sound design by Elizabeth Edwards. Audio transcription by Katie Gaskin. Our theme music is by Matthias Miller.